0: What a pleasure to welcome you to the latest episode of Disrupt Podcast. I'm Gabriella Mulligan.
1: And I'm Tom Jackson. Disrupt Podcast is your one-stop shop for African tech startups news and views, bringing you all the latest from the continent's startup ecosystem, plus interviews with special guests every fortnight.
0: This week, we're digging into a significant funding round in the HR tech space and discovering why more and more African countries are implementing startup apps. But before that, here's all the latest news from the last two weeks.
1: It was a big fortnight in the Egyptian tech space where a bunch of startups announced funding rounds. Egypt made major gains from an investment perspective in 2019, according to our annual funding report, and is set for an equally impressive 2020 if current progress is maintained.
0: The most notable Egyptian investment of the last couple of weeks went to digital payments provider PayMob, which raised $3.5 million to grow its merchant network and accelerate regional expansion. B2B e commerce platform Fatura raised a seven figure US dollar seed round to help it scale. And there were six-figure investments for beauty service booking startup Glamera and peer-to-peer savings tool Algamia.
1: As ever, more sources of funding are entering the African tech space. August saw the Uganda-based 97 Fund launch a $1 million COVID-19 relief fund to invest in solutions targeting and addressing challenges caused by the pandemic. The Halal Angels Network meanwhile, which is apparently the first investor group set up to penetrate the $5 trillion global halal consumer market teamed up with Tanzania's SSC Capital to explore opportunities across Africa.
0: Outside of Egypt, a number of startups were backed this month. Nigerian multi-merchant rewards company Thank You Cash secured funding from 500 startups mentor Brandon Drew. South African sensor technology startup Lightware bagged $1.5 million in investment, and and Malian off-grid solar company Energy Plus raised $1 million. Tanzanian startup Kilimo Fresh, meanwhile, which is a digital distributor of fresh produce, was named winner of the MEST Africa Challenge, winning $50,000 in equity investment.
1: Exciting developments from Kenya of late, with retail tech startup Market Force, the only company from sub Saharan Africa selected for the Y Combinator Summer 2020 batch, securing $150,000 in funding and the inspiration for a new product in the process. And a great month for another Nairobi based YC alumni company, WorkPay, which has raised $2.1 million in seed funding to fuel its growth. Workpay builds HR and payroll solutions for Africa. Originally called toza Plus until a 2019 rebrand, Workpay processes payrolls for more than 25,000 employees in Kenya and has more than 300 business customers. Gabriella caught up with Paul Kimani, the startup CEO, to talk investment, Y Combinator, and the benefits of refocusing.
0: Congratulations on your funding news. Can you tell us any details about the deal?
2: Yeah, so I think most of the things are in the public. So we raised uh, around $2.1 million. Actually, we were uh, targeted to do one point eight, And we had uh, another subscription, and we got to two point one. million. Uh, most of our funds came to uh, from our early investors, that is Kepo. Uh, we also had participation from uh, Y Combinator, Soma Capital, uh, and other syndicates are uh, by angels, both local and uh, international. Yeah.
0: Can you tell us um, any of the equity details?
2: Yeah. So we, we use a safe, uh, it was a safe round. So uh, that is what we use. So uh, it's going to convert our series A. Uh, so uh, in terms of uh, the equity that we gave out, we don't, uh, tell that in public. Uh, But what is more important to us, I can tell you for sure, is how big can we grow our cake as opposed to uh, what we have individually. So, yeah.
0: All right, cool. Um, It's really nice to have the news of Kenyan founders and a Kenyan team raising a big round for a fully Kenyan company rather than often you get the story of expat founders and so on. What was your experience of fundraising like? And do you have any advice for Founders
2: planning to raise funding? Yeah, so I I think number one, uh, I'll start by what we all agree that fundraising is hard. Uh, It doesn't matter where you're fundraising from, either you're in Kenya, in uh, the valley, it's hard. And now throwing the spanner into the works, doing the fundraise during COVID makes it even super hard. So uh, I think that's a good place to start. So, but having said that, I think in my uh, of fundraising. Uh, one of the things that I found uh, working for us and as a founder, especially the CEO, you have to really work on is around uh, your networks. Like, you really to have uh, people on your side who believe in you, and people who you have to network with them and be able to uh, get people to support you. Uh, in our case, uh, we were. Fortunate uh, to have participated in the Y Combinator, so uh, we had really uh, built some uh, traction in that aspect. We had already built some networks on that aspect, but most importantly, we had people who invested in us very early. Uh, I think I can mention people like Kepo, who had really invested in us very early. They believed in us. They had seen the uh, the traction that we had done. They had seen how far we had come, and they were even willing to bet on us even more, even though that is probably uh, not how they had set up their fund uh, to even do kind of the follow-up investment that they were able to do it. So uh, I think the most important thing is that uh, as long as you are building uh, a really uh, good company, solving a real problem uh, and having like a really good founding team, uh, I think if you will persist uh, on 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 doing what you do. Uh, I think funds uh, will come, and then probably the other thing is that remove the notion of like fundraising is equals to success. Uh, of course, it's part of traction uh, that that shows that the company is heading in the right direction. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that is the business uh, moving in the right direction, and that if that is happening, uh, I believe funds will come at some point.
0: And do you feel like you got any? extra difficult questions or um, scrutiny um, as it's for an African company specifically?
2: Honestly, I, I think of it, it, it was hard uh, and one of the things that uh, What's coming up is that uh, we were talking to people who have not invested in Africa before. Uh, we got people who really understood the business that you we are doing. and they. But now the challenge they were having is that they don't understand the market. They don't understand or they don't have an experience uh, having invested in a, like what you would call a, a fully African team. So uh, uh, you, you would understand them. Of course, they would try to, be, to scrutinize more because they really wanted to be involved. But even at some point, you could find them. They were not able to be involved. Some would like do a lot of DD on us, like really ask the very hard questions. But at the end of the day, having done like three or four meetings, they would still say no. So uh, that's there. I think uh, uh, it's two way. They don't understand the market. uh, So it gives you a lot of work or it leaves a lot of work to you as a founder, trying to educate them about the market, try to make them understand how things work on this end of the world.
0: And is there anything you can do to prepare for that from the perspective of of an African founder?
2: I I think it's more of a the exposure that you would get there. Uh, and I think this again goes back to the, to the networks that you build and, uh, all the people that you get, uh, are funding you early, uh, when you're doing this. Uh, as I mentioned, like for us, uh, we really try to, uh, put our business out there, uh, getting involved, uh, like building a brand, uh, around the business. Uh, people really are getting to understand, uh, uh about you. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, more of trying to understand, like, uh, going the extra mile as a founder, like you really have to understand your numbers, you really have to understand the market that you are playing in uh, inside out. So when you go or you approach an investor, you have to understand that, number one, you have to educate them about the market that you are playing in. And when you you educate them, and because the business that you are doing, they might understand it. They might have seen it work somewhere else, but the challenge they might be having is they have not seen it work in the space that you are in. So you have to do put more work uh, as a local founder.
0: So, as we've mentioned already, you took part in Y Combinator recently. Um, how has that impacted you as a company and your plans? And what were the main takeaways that you got from that?
2: Yeah, so YC is, it's it's a, it's a program I think like any uh, not like any other. So one of the things that YC is obsessed with is uh, uh, the user. So like, you know, like they say that you build something uh, people want. So one of the things that you really learn when you're doing uh, YC or when you become part of YC is that Uh, you really have to go back to the basics. And the basics is talking to the users. So if if you are building a company, you have to really go back and talk to the users. uh, And uh, and then you build a a business around the users, not just sitting down and now figuring out things as a business. That's what you want to build. You have to build a product around users. You have to be solving a real problem. So that was really, uh, it's not something that we did not know, but the way we learned it and went through that uh, during the program, like, it was a revelation. Uh, you were able to really uh, uh, go back to the basics and, and even measuring things that are important. The other thing uh, with OC, of course, is the network. Like once you get into the YC network, that gives you a bit of a leverage in terms of uh, uh, the people that you interact with. And these are not only investors. These are people who can help you to build your business. These are a group of more than 2,000 founders who have somehow even built a billion-dollar companies. Like you can learn a lot at any stage that we are in as a business, there's someone who has gone through that stage before us and there's someone who is behind us uh, at that stage. So like the networks really uh, prepares you as a founder and as a business uh, for growth and now you, uh, it, it gives you a, a better chance uh, for survival. Um, and, and I believe it's an awesome opportunity. Uh, I'm really feeling really fortunate that as a company we went through that program uh, and, and, and now there are things that were uh, not clear to us. They are a bit clear f- uh, for us. We have people that we can always uh, connect with. Like, uh, if I want to understand how our companies uh, that is doing what we are doing in South America, I have someone that I can actually set a meeting with. I want to talk to someone in the U.S., someone in, the, in Canada, uh, likely someone that I can talk to, uh, to about. And that is really important uh, learning from each other.
0: And over the years, you've taken part in a couple of uh, other accelerators as well. Um, What would you say uh, are the benefits in general of participating in accelerator programs and and how important should you position it it, as a founder, um, applying for these programs and taking the time out to join in these
2: programs? To me, or to us as a business, we use them as uh, networking opportunities. Uh, So uh, we use those accelerators for us to be able to be seen out there. Uh, When when you meet an investor or you meet a partner, uh, one of the things that they'll do, they just check you online. They just check... where, who is this work pay? Uh, what do they do? Is it what they are telling us they do? Is that what they have been doing? So uh, are people able to track uh, your progress from the public domain? So like, it gives you some sort of uh, uh, social um, uh, social uh, proof uh, in, in what you are doing. And then the most important thing is that you're able to interact with other founders and, and, and understand uh, the challenges that they are going through, learn from them. So that's how we have, been, uh, we have approached them. Uh, as a networking opportunity, uh, as as an opportunity for us to learn from other founders. Yeah.
0: Last year, I think it was, you rebranded from toza Plus. You're now WorkPay, uh, to reflect a narrowed down focus in your company. I think you cut some of your previous offerings. Actually, um, can you tell us more about that decision?
2: yeah <laughs> yeah so we did that last year so uh the, the way this business was started at uh, Tosa plus uh, when we are starting is that we started as an in-house product so our background was we were running a dev shop uh, and we came up with tosa plus uh, interacting with the customers that we are building different softwares for them so when when we did that we uh we build with what we thought again going back to talking to customers we, we build what we thought the customers needed uh, but now when we put it the customer, then ask them to pay, we realized that we had not built what they really wanted. So one of the challenges that we found, uh, we had built a, a, like what we called a mini ERP. We had accounting, we had uh, project management, we had uh, CRM, and then we also had the human resource management tool. So when we put it out there, uh, talked to customers, uh, done, ex- did experiments uh, uh, with what we were offering, we realized that we actually had to shrink it and, and re- only focus on one area. Uh, from the data we got from clients and that's how we had to make that uh bold decision and say we're not going to offer all this we had to communicate to clients that we had explain to them why we want to take that direction and uh one year down the line i think we made the right call
0: all right so you've streamlined your offering you've raised your funding um tell us what's next
2: well so uh it is an exciting time that we find ourselves in uh, as a business and the uh having even able to raise funds during the very difficult time um, I think we find ourselves in a very uh, interesting situation uh, we have revenues that are coming in again really interesting uh, for us so what we are looking forward uh, getting, uh, forward is that we are now um, uh, we have been primarily focusing on the small and medium sized businesses uh, but what, uh, what we want to do with the uh, current funding is that we want to also offer some solutions to enterprises so we are actually essentially uh, building our solution to Uh, serve the small and medium businesses but also serve the enterprises we're also looking into the uh, regional markets so we have already been having a conversation with some of the clients and people asking us whether we could offer a solution to uh, countries like Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda Uh, we even have a Uh, a client who uh, is using part of our solution in markets like Ethiopia. So we are looking into uh, getting into those markets now uh, in the next two uh, to three years. And then now uh, even expanding to other African countries uh, after that. But the short term is to at least offer our solution to enterprise businesses uh, and then also offer uh, the solution to the, uh, the region, the Eastern African region.
0: All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: The future then is looking bright for WorkPay, a proudly Kenyan company building HR products for the African workplace. If startups founded by Africans are to have the chance to build, grow and receive funding for the solutions they build to African problems, then perhaps more needs to be done from a governmental perspective.
0: In the last couple of years, we've seen startup acts passed into law in Tunisia and Senegal, and work on such legislation is well underway in a host of other African countries. Tom chatted to John Stever of I4 Policy, which is playing a key role in drafting innovation policy manifestos across the continent, with its latest public consultation taking place in Rwanda next week. <music>
1: John, uh, update us on the current state of startup acts across the continent. How many acts are in place so far? How many are in the pipeline? What's the what's the current status?
3: Yeah, so, so as many of us will know, the Tunisian Startup Act is very firmly in place. The Senegalese Startup Act, which was passed at the end of last year, I'm happy to say that the government has just finalized their decrees that they've brought to the community for consultation. So the Startup Act in Senegal will also be implemented quite soon. And then, in addition to that, there's a startup act that's going to Parliament in DRC, and then in the pipeline you have laws, or what you could call a startup act or a startup decree. In the case of, for example, Ethiopia, they're working on a startup proclamation. Last I heard, um, so there's a there's in the pipeline directly uh, startup legislation in Benin, Ethiopia, Ghana, Kenya, and also recently in Rwanda, the government has initiated a process to to start drafting a a national startup law. Um, In addition to that, um, I could list another 12 countries where you have ecosystems and or governments working together on uh, exploring such laws. Uh, In some cases, you have more formalization of the startup ecosystem uh, with a view to passing a startup law. So currently, too, we have the draft law. Also, I didn't mention in Mali, though, of course, unfortunately, the government there is going through a great degree of political instability right now um, in our our, our thoughts and prayers are with, with our colleagues there. Um, but in addition to that, DRC, Benin, Ethiopia, Ghana, Kenya, Rwanda, all hopefully have startup laws coming very soon. Sounds like a lot of countries are going for this kind of legislation. I mean, so why does a country need uh, a law like this? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I don't think any country needs a startup act, but I think all governments can benefit from one. And, you know, Then you ask the question, what is a Startup Act? And really there's a huge diversity of the kinds of measures that you see in them. And what's super nice about the Startup Act is it's sort of an open package where you can start putting a a range of different reforms. And that's what you see in the case of Senegal, for instance, which is is quite unique, is that the conversation on the Startup Act actually also led to the reform of their national finance law. And so the Startup Act in, in Senegal led to you know, reforms for all small businesses. So they dropped the number of um, the the amount of money it takes to register a business by, you know, a third, sorry, two thirds. They also dropped um, the number of, you know, different tax rates from 11 different rates to two. So it's just simpler to file your taxes. And they, they also introduced an across the board tax holiday for all new small businesses at the lowest level to be able to really give a boost and increase survivability of small businesses to kind of you know, increase the the survivability, the the ecosystem, the sort of framework conditions for, for startups to flourish. Um, and that's what's really nice that these legislation, you know, what you see is not just a sort of, you know, support for these like highest growing, um, fastest growing rather uh, companies, but really starting to improve the business environment in general. And so, you know, that's what we say is that a startup act isn't just a sort of, Package of reforms. It's really also we should think of it as the dialogue process that is introduced between the government and the startups and the ecosystems, and that's what's so interesting and beneficial for for governments. So, I mean, you guys are
1: evidently playing a, playing a fairly central role in the development of these laws across various African countries. I mean, take us briefly through the development and implementation of a startup act. I mean, how does it begin? And what's the process?
3: Yeah. So I mean, the the, the beginning is is really a matter of trying to bring together the the ecosystem and also the government. I mean, as you know, uh, startup ecosystems aren't always the most unified. Um, You know, a lot of different actors, uh, whether it's organizational ego or whatever else, don't always have an incentive to collaborate, even if they ostensibly exist to facilitate collaboration. Um, And the beautiful thing about a startup act is that it's sort of something big enough that can really start to bring the ecosystem together because everyone really sees the joint joint benefit in having some of these reforms take place. So the the first step is really about unifying the ecosystem and then articulating that really clear common interest with the government. Um, So you start bringing everybody together um, to really unify. And then the second step is to start charting out, okay, what are the big high-level objectives of of this law um, and then and then, starting to unpack what are the different challenges that need to be addressed. You know, that's why in Senegal, for instance, you see these really broad based tax reforms because it was recognized that in order to support the, the startups, you need to really improve the general business environment, uh, for instance. Um, and then, you know, obviously, there's a variety of political systems. You know, we see in a lot of governments, uh, it's more common law set up that, that it's the executive branch that's really driving Uh, The development of these laws before it goes to parliament, they submit it to parliament through cabinet. Um, In other cases, for example, in DRC, you've had a huge degree of ownership from the president's office um, and also from the ministry of ICT there. Um, But then um, the law is going to be introduced into parliament. uh, We expect next month, actually, um, by the president of the National Assembly. Um, and so, you know, the, the actual process of getting this thing adopted will really depend on the political system. Um, but then once it goes into implementation, the beautiful thing that we've been seeing so far is that, you know, this ecosystem-wide conversation of bringing startups and hubs and ecosystem enablers together with government to formulate these laws is also then translating into greater sort of co-creation on the implementation side as well. So I mentioned in in Senegal that the government is now finalizing their decrees. They've brought those back to the ecosystem to to share them. Uh, And and it's expected that the ecosystem is going to be involved in the implementation process as well. You know, through the labelization, something also in Tunisia that the the startups and the ecosystem are also, they're a part of this um, committee that's been established by the government to actually labelize to, to, to define the startup's. Uh, Which companies are being certified, and the ecosystem is actually a part of those processes. Um, So that's kind of what you can broad overview of what you can expect in terms of the of the process. But essentially, heavily participatory.
1: Great, thanks. And how amenable are governments to um, enacting laws such as this? I mean, is it are any of these processes government led, or is it sort of a case of the ecosystem joining forces to twist twist a president's arm here and there?
3: Yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. The governments are open. I think, uh, you know, when you go to a government and you say, you know, especially when you go as a coalition of hubs, people that the government recognizes as allies, like these are, you know, young people that are creating jobs that are creating indigenous innovation. You know, there's really not this antagonistic relationship. I think governments are super open to listening to these communities, especially when they talk about how they can improve, you know, economic performance and, you know, generate medium term tax revenue, it's kind of things that everybody agrees are, are great. Um, so the, the conversations, governments have been super amenable to this so far. And in fact, it's been a lot of governments reaching out to us and or, you know, national partners uh, to be able to start pushing this. Um, and then, you know, when you talk about ecosystems going to governments, you know, what's beautiful is that these are processes that are really co-led, you know, like in Senegal, for instance, there was very much a leadership from the délégation Entrepreneuriat Rapide, from the DARE, from Papa Medusar. His team was very much from day one driving this, but you had an equal representation from the ecosystem and an openness from the government to have that sort of co-ownership and co-leadership. Um, and you, we see this really re- reflected across the board. You know, in some countries uh, with maybe more developed um you know, like a uh, private sector, like for example, in South Africa, there's already a small business act from 1996. Um, you know, the ecosystem is starting to talk about a, a startup act and there's a coalition forming around that. And I see that when they go to talk with the government, there's going to be a real need to kind of bring in the small business elements to this, uh, and make sure that the startup act is a really inclusive, uh, policy framework. But I see that the, the government in South Africa, I expect them to be really open to this kind of conversation. And similarly, um, in the other governments where we've worked, it's it's really been not difficult to find people in the government that want to champion these kinds of reforms. Sure. Um, in terms of the countries that have already enacted these types
1: of these types of legislation, um, Tunisia, Senegal. I mean, are we seeing any tangible impacts so far? or Is it still too early in the in the process?
3: Definitely. It's early to to be able to really say, you know, uh, emphatically, like, this is transformed. But, you know, what I think you can see from Tunisia already is that the Startup Act has absolutely rebranded their their ecosystem. It's like really... um, attracted an incredible amount of attention to the ecosystem, and this has generated a huge increase of venture capital funding. I I read recently, I think it was 200 million euros going into venture capital in in, in Tunisia, rather, looking for investment opportunities amongst these new cohorts of startups. Um, So that's, I mean, already, I think, an incredible impact. I'm, you know, we are organizing a a call actually on Wednesday and Thursday, 25th, uh, 26th of, um, of, uh, of August on uh, this benchmarking study that we just completed with the French Development Agency, where we actually benchmarked all startup acts and small business acts across Africa with some comparison policies and also laws from other regions in the world to really understand what's the impact that they're having. Um, so we're going to talk about more of the technical details a lot like in this, these conversations next week and, and release this benchmarking study. Um, but what you can see from other regions, for example, the Italian startup act, which is now uh, eight years old, um, you see a tremendous impact on uh, the financials for the companies that have been uh, labeled as startups. You also see a huge in- increase on their, their their sort of staffing and also in their survivability. So significant uh, statistical improvement in their performance um, that you're seeing from the laws where you actually have more rigorous impact analysis, like in like in Italy. Of course, it's a different context, but um, we're confident that we're going to start seeing similar kinds of results for the for the startup acts um, in in Africa.
4: Adeomi, I'm the CEO and co-founder at One Chaos Africa. At One Chaos Africa, we connect the regular mom and pop stores, you know, and give them access to market. We use the sales available data to be able to connect them with financial partners that can also give them access to credit. The team brings together over 30 years of combined experience, cutting across from the retail space to the tech space to the business world in general. We are actually not just solving a problem and adding value. But we are committed to eradicating poverty across Africa and also creating jobs across Africa. We are looking for partners and investors, and we also seek $500,000 to be able to help us build to scale across Nigeria and over the next 18 months into other African uh, countries. Join us in building a sustainable e-commerce model for Africa. Visit us at www.onecoastafrica.com. Thank you.
0: That's all for this episode of Disrupt Podcast. As ever, we hope you enjoyed it.
1: Please remember to let all your friends and colleagues know that they can listen to the podcast on any of their favourite podcasting platforms. For now, goodbye.
0: Bye.